<laughs> Can you get stage fright if the audience exists in the future? Uh, I not justifiably no. No, I didn't think so. Okay. This episode of Tales from the Pig Shed is brought to you by Snout and Trotters Pork Products. Snout and Trotters, we believe in bacon. Hello, and welcome to the Pig Shed. Hand-reared stories from pure Norfolk lines. And uh, we have tea. And uh, pigs. And pigs. A few pigs. Um, and stories. We do. We have some stories for you. We do. Um, well, I'm Shay. And I'm Tim. He's Tim. That's enough about us. Let's get on with the stories. Uh, first, though, I'll just tell you a little bit about where they're coming from. Each podcast will be bringing you two stories, one of which will be inspired directly from the Blue Plaques of Norwich. If you live in or around Norwich, you might have seen the Blue Plaques up on buildings. They denote places of interest, um, places of historical interest, or figures who have done something remarkable throughout Norwich's past. As citizens of Norwich, we've noticed the Blue Plaques around the place, but we don't really stop to look at them. Um, And when we did, we realised that some of the stories are really interesting, and we thought that they deserved a closer look. So that's why we're doing this podcast, and that's where the first story will come from. The second story will be a tale of contemporary Norwich, and will be thematically linked to the blue plaque in question. Loosely linked. Linked. It'll be a nice story. Yeah, yeah. So to our first story then. We begin outside Strangers Hall on Charon Cross. The Strangers of Norwich were families from the Low Countries who were invited to Norwich by Queen Elizabeth I. Uh, The families that came over were weavers and they were invited over to reboot the Norwich cloth industry, which they did to great effect, didn't they? They did? Yeah. Right then. Well, tell us a story then, Tim. Okay. Remy won't sing. I've not heard his voice since we left. My name is Lena. I was born to the Low Countries, by the banks of the River Sombra. I've always loved the waters. As a child I threw sticks off the little stone bridge near our house. It spanned the Sombra at its narrowest point, where the river was no wider than a Roman skiff, or no higher than your waist, but it, it flowed quickly. I would watch the sticks spin gently as they were carried off by the currents. After they passed the bend and I could no longer see them, I would daydream of their journey, how the river beds and banks would change as they went, flowing on and on until the Sambra joined the great basin of the Maus and its waters mixed with the waters of a hundred other rivers. It's more than fifty miles from my little bridge to the Maus, so Papa would tell me. When I was young that distance made me shiver, thinking how one little twig would be carried off all that way, rolling and spinning in currents it knew nothing about. I think Remy must be unhappy. I'm far more than fifty miles from that little stone bridge and the waters of the Sombre. The river I gaze at now is so unfamiliar in every way. The shape of its water, the colour of its reeds. I'm a stranger to it. This wensome. Papa has brought us here. He received a letter inviting him from the Queen herself. Papa calls it a great honour, but he couldn't hide his fear from me. We were driven out, driven out of our home. It's for our beliefs. 
We are Protestant and our lords are Catholic. Papa was afraid they would come and hurt us one day, so he has taken us away. Here they are all Protestants, Papa says. Even if they don't speak our language, they share our faith. I don't really understand, but... This is home now. This alien city and its, its alien people. We're not the only ones who have come here. Other families, Dutch and, and Walloons, like us, have fled here too. All of us are weavers, that's why we've been allowed to come. Papa says he will teach the weavers here. He says there's much we can do for them, and once we've helped them, they will treat us as family and welcome us with open arms. I don't know that. To me, they seem stiff and distant. When our barge first arrived in the city, we were met by a representative of the Queen, or the city mayor, or someone important. At least he seemed important. His clothes looked very fine. We we could not speak to him, but we'd been travelling with a Dutch family, and, and he spoke to them. They said he was here to welcome us, but when Papa went to embrace him, the man drew back. He shook Papa's hand in the end, and he wasn't unfriendly. There was something cold in his eyes. It frightened me. It was the same way people looked at us before we left our home. It'll be his cage, won't it? He had a much bigger cage before, but now he's stuck in the small thing he travelled over with. Oh, my poor dear must feel so cramped. It was strange to watch those eyes and those I'd seen all my life change. It happened so slowly, but at the same time so fast. As our lords grew more fervent in their faith, so did their subjects. People I'd known as a child, mothers and fathers who'd smiled at, me, smiled at me before, now turned their heads away. If I did ever catch their eyes, it would be that same cold gaze leveled at me. You are different. You do not belong. Mama says it won't be like that here. That these English men and women are just unfamiliar, and that is why they frighten me. She says to trust in Papa and believe that these are good people who will warm to us in time. I hope she's right. I will go out and walk along the river if Papa will allow it. I must learn the feel of this new water. They say it flows all the way to the coast and out into the ocean. I will find a bridge from which I could throw a stick. Try to imagine the land it will pass through on its journey as it rolls and spins. When I come home, I will take Remy out of his cage for a while. Perhaps then he will sing for me. Oh, lovely. Um, so, Lena, she was with one of the weaving families that came over? She was a daughter of one of the Walloon families that uh, came over in the first instance. Oh, right. And tell me more about Remy. Remy is her pet canary. Oh. <laughs> um, 
The reason that Norwich football team is called the Canaries mm. um, comes from the fact that uh, the the strangers brought over pet canaries from the Low Countries. They, they, it wasn't a thing in Norwich before the strangers arrived to to have pet canaries. Wow. But so many of the families brought them over that it became sort of a, a Norwich symbol. Oh, that's great. Oh, go the Canaries. Go the Canaries. Well done, lads. Well done, lads. Right. So the Dutch families came over when? In the late 16th century? Mid-16th century? Mid-16th century. Elizabeth yeah. I. Elizabeth I. And what happened to them after that? Did they stay? They did stay, yes. Um, it was originally 30 families. It was, I think, 24 Dutch families and six Walloon families, which totaled to about 300 people because hmm. uh, of their households and their servants and everything comes over. Their canaries. Their canaries as well. Um, and in less than 10 years... The, the population of strangers in Norwich had grown from those 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 300 people to um, a fifth of the entire population of Norwich. Wow. Yeah, it was a real influx. So a fifth of the population of Norwich were Dutch and Walloon. Dutch, Walloon, and I think there were some French uh-huh. thrown in there. People from the from the Low Countries, which mm. just is sort of a swath of, uh, of Europe. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think some of the some of the other blue plaques we'll be looking at talk about various Dutch, Walloon, French people who mm. lived in Norwich who, I don't know, maybe they were descended from those original families, I'm not sure. Yeah, they probably were. Mm. Uh, the term stranger is, is still used, really, uh, in Norwich to, to describe people from outside sometimes. <laughs> I mean, one instance is uh, the Strangers Club, which is on Elm Hill mm. um, and was founded in the, the early, early 20th century, around the turn of the century, um, and uh, I love this. In in its uh, founding charter, it was put down that uh, the proper makeup of of the members of the Strangers Club should be forty nine percent local people from Norwich and fifty one percent people from away. <laughs> people from away. From the great away. <laughs> great and mysterious lands outside of Norfolk. Yes. Well, that's interesting because you and I are both from away. We are. We are. We are from far, far away. Far away. Where Not are that you far from? Away. Where I'm. From? I'm from Surrey. Surrey. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Where are you from? I'm from Leicester. Oh God. I know. <laughs> Little better. Um, well, I, I remember first coming to Norwich about seven years ago or so, um, and I did find it a very welcoming city. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah, I definitely I I loved it as soon as I arrived, and mm. that's why I've stayed. Mm. Right. Well, I've told my story. Shay, would you like to tell yours? Oh, I suppose so. <clears throat> so, round the corner from Strangers Hall is an office where my friend Oz used to work. It's some kind of agency. I'm not sure what they do there, but I do know that they have this tapestry in their main reception area. The tapestry is very old, with a pattern of small golden birds in flight, and over the years it had gotten a bit shabby. So a few months back the agency decided to get someone in to clean it. And they got this weaver to come down from Scotland to fix it up. So she came down through the mountains, and then the hills, and then the fields, and across the fen to Norwich. I think her name was Helen. She set herself up in a little room with too many corners right at the top of the agency building. I met her once, actually, when Oz brought her to the pub. She was small and quiet, with a lot of tattoos. Really, a very extensive collection of tattoos. Anyway, she spent a few weeks cleaning the tapestry, but it had been so damaged by the unruly passage of time that she said she was going to have to replace parts of it. Otherwise, it would gradually unravel until there was no tapestry there at all, only a pile of withered thread and mothballs. The agency said, fine, 
stay a while longer, replace what can't be repaired. Thanks. No one saw much of Helen for a few weeks, and then one day Oz took her up a cup of tea. He found her sitting on the floor in front of the tapestry crying. He made her drink the tea, and he asked what's wrong, and she refused to tell him for a while, but Oz is persuasive and he has freckles and a trustworthy look about him, so eventually she told him the problem. She said, every day she worked on the tapestry, and every night she went home to bed, and when she came back in the morning the work she'd done the day before had been undone. Well, this was odd. To calm her down, Oz said he'd keep watch over the tapestry all night with her, so that they could try and see what was going on. So that evening they didn't go home from the office, but stayed awake in the little room all night, drinking tea and eating crisps and watching the tapestry all unblinking like a pair of hawks eating crisps. Nothing happened until the sun rose, and by its light they saw all in an instant that the work Helen had done on the tapestry the day before had come apart. Well, consternation. How to fix a tapestry that unpicks your stitches in the night even as you keep watch? Oz and Helen put their heads together, shared a croissant, and came up with a plan. The next week they took the tapestry and Helen's tools down from the room with too many corners and walked along Charing Cross to Stranger's Hall. Helen said the tapestry had been made there, so being there again might make it more agreeable to the idea of being fixed. She started work. It seemed to go well for a little while. The hall was dim and quiet and smelled of time and old air. But after half an hour the thread sagged and wouldn't hold, and this time when Helen's careful work fell apart the loosened ends were sharp and wiry and cut her fingers. So Oz bandaged up Helen's hands, and Helen tried using this old hooked weaving tool that she'd found in a glass case in one of the rooms, thinking perhaps it was her modern equipment that was causing the problem. But the old tool grew hot in her hands until it glowed, and she was unable to hold it without burning herself really quite badly. As a last-ditch attempt to soften the violent will of the tapestry, Oz and Helen got a local crochet circle to come in and have a session in Stranger's Hall, complete with tea and biscuits and a lot of chatting. That didn't work either although one of the circle did make Oz a lovely pair of mittens. So Helen, despairing, phoned up the master weaver back in Scotland, and he said, Ah, Helen. He said, Leave the tapestry alone. You cannot force a fragile thing like that. If it doesn't want to be fixed, then nothing you can do will persuade it otherwise. The agency were very understanding, almost too understanding, considering the strangeness of the circumstances. I wonder what it is that they do do there. Well, anyway, Helen packed up her kit, bought Oz a pint, and went back to Scotland. Oz left his job at the agency soon after, and when he told me the story, I thought what a shame it was that the tapestry will eventually fall apart, because it wouldn't allow Helen to mend it. But then again, perhaps the most sensible course to take with things that won't be mended is to let them be for a while, and hope that maybe one day they'll come around. Thank you very much. You are welcome. That agency, uh, is that the one on, on Bank Plain, near Age UK? Yeah, yeah, you know, the one with the logo, the eye. That weird eye, yeah. Yeah, that's them. They are a bit weird, aren't they? Well, I don't know. Well, it's funny people going in and out, and, like, they're open at really strange hours. Like, I've seen people going in and out there at midnight. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll have to ask... What the hell do they do? I don't remember. I'll have to ask Oz next time I see him. Shay? Yeah? Who's Oz? Oh, come on, you know Oz. No, I... I've I've never met nor heard you speak of Oz before. You have met Oz. You meet him all the time. He was at Fuchsia's birthday. He was at Christmas drinks. Uh, I was at both those things, and he uh, there were no there was no Oz. He was there. You can't miss him. He always dresses in like lime green, orange. No, don't remember that. This is ridiculous. Well, we're going out for a drink tonight, so you should come along. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll see you there. Cool. We'll feed Great. the pigs, and we'll go. Yeah, we would. Oh, uh, thank you for listening uh, oh, to yes. our podcast, everybody. Thank you very much.
we'd really like to hear from you. Um, you can find us on our website, www.talesfromthepigshed.wordpress.com or tweet us at tellinporkies. That's tellinporkies without a G on telling. No G on telling. In the next podcast, we'll be taking a stroll up to Dove Street where we'll meet an inventor who's an interesting type. Ah, uh, see what you did there. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to see why that pun is not funny, please tune in to the next podcast. Right, Shay. I think we better feed these pigs and get the pen shut up for the night. Better had to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.